0: Good morning, everyone. This morning we're going to be continuing our study through the Paul's letter to the Philippians. But before that, the children are dismissed for children's church. This morning, in in our passage, Philippians chapter two, verses one through four, Paul lays out and gives us actually the formula for unity. The formula for unity. We know one thing we know about the church at Philippi, for the most part, the church was sound they they were there didn't have a lot of things wrong. I mean we see in chapter one where they participated with Paul in the Gospel. We see that in the in the chapter one, verse three it says, "I thank my God in all remembrance of you always offering prayer with <clears throat> with joy in." in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now they they were good they 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 supported him with prayer they supported him with finances they were also a loving church although paul says we want i want you to increase more and more we can see that in verse 9 and 10 and they were also spreading the gospel Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, And the most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So they were out there. They were out there preaching the gospel. However, there was a danger in that church of division. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, verse 2 of Philippians, there's a couple of ladies there. I urge Eodia and you Synthese. To live in harmony in the Lord. So there was some division in there. And you get division in one place, it can spread. So right there, I think what Paul's doing is this, let's take care of this thing before it, let's take care of it. You know, like cancer, cut it out as a little problem. Don't let it spread and kill the body. Okay, and so that's what we're looking at now. However, before we read this passage, let's go to the Word and Lord, in prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we, we do pray as the as we sang about your church being one foundation. May we be one in spirit with with you in that. And again, Lord, in this local assembly. Father God, we just come to you and we just pray that uh, as we leave here today, we would be better servants of you for having been here this morning. And again, Lord, we as always, we offer this morning to you, as worship from us to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> now, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul continues the, his theme of unity, which he actually started back in verse 27 of chapter 1. In 127, Paul Paul's call to unity was based on the common cause, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Remember that word, striving last soon soon athleo, that part of it, athleo, we get the, remember where we get the word athlete? It says, as athletes, and I like the, I like the example of the, the rowers, the, the people on the crew where everybody's in unison, pulling the oars together, 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 okay? That's the picture there. So I'm going to read now verses 1 through 4. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It sounds like a rerun, doesn't it, of what was just, read, what was just written in 27 through 30. And then it goes on in verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 1, where it says the... Now, not all have, but there's a Greek participle here. It's translated in the English, if, and it appears four times. Now, if some of you have... uh, they say, like the uh, uh, the ESV translation, for some reason they did not include that. I don't know. I don't know why. To me, it loses a little bit of the meaning. But that, there, though, if there's used four times, and in each in each occurrence, the if introduces a reality or a fact that applies to the Christian life, that applies to each and every Christian. And this is where this passage here can be a little bit convicting. These are things that every Christian has. Whether or not we're living up to it is the question. But this is what we all have. We all have this in common. Now, the word if, the Greek particle if, is most often conditional. Like, for example, if you do X, then I will do Y. Or if this happens and here's the result okay this in this case it's not conditional the if here has the meaning of since or because in other words it says it says if therefore there is any now again in the greek those three words come out a little different than we have here and then what you see it uh, it has i is the i Okay, what is that? Well, that is, if, there, therefore, is how it reads in the Greek, which doesn't really line up with English thinking. So probably the best English translation of that would be right up front, Put therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. That's the cleanest way to say that in English and get the meaning, the intended meaning of this passage. So, so so therefore and so again one of the uh, one of the things we want to always do when you see a therefore is you want to look in front of it like what does what this come this is playing off something so you want to see what the therefore is therefore all right and so we look back and what it does that therefore ties us right back into chapter 1 verse 27 to 30 because this is a this is continuing and adding on to that it's it's, a lot of it is being is repetition and what do we know about repetition? Repetition is for emphasis. There's a point that Paul's trying to pound home, and that is unity within the church. He's pounding this home because it's it's a problem. It's a problem that if it develops could kill the church. And Paul knows it. Now, about that if the <clears throat> I think we've said enough about that. I went on along. That's why studies take so long. But anyway, I don't need to share everything. Now, unless you really want me to, you can talk to me later. Now, moving on. The first fact or the first reality. And that's what these if clauses are introducing. And there's four realities, four facts concerning each and every Christian that we must consider here. And then Paul is basing his whole argument on this. He's saying, let's just start with, if there is any encouragement in Christ, that one. Encouragement in Christ. Paraklesis is the word there. That may sound familiar to you. The word translates comfort or solace. A related word, parakletos, is translated, for example, helper, which is a title for the Holy Spirit. Example would be in John fourteen twenty six, 26, um, which, which Jesus up at the upper room was saying, when the helper comes, okay, the helper, which is one of the n- many names given or titles given to the Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to you. Now, our encouragement or comfort as, be, as believers comes from, I believe, the fact of our position as being in Christ, it says it right there, encouragement in Christ now if, <clears throat> if you're familiar with Paul's writings, his letters, that phrase in Christ or in him shows up all over the place. He uses it a lot. it shows up a lot. And here in what that is that in Christ, sometimes written referring to Christ as in him, what that is that that in Christ shows the, it speaks of that vital relationship that each and every one of us as believers has with the, the living God. We are in Christ. Therefore, that is, that's the basis, the foundation of our relationship with Christ. Just like we sang about the church's one foundation is the fact that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Now, I want to compare that I'm going to, I want to look at that a little bit by looking at Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1 or just the neighboring letter just one, the one that precedes Philippians Ephesians chapter 1 beginning verse 7 and again if if after we read this verse and another one if we're not encouraged maybe we need to go to the prayer room ourselves later and, and discuss this because this is awfully encouraging to me every time I read this. Pick it up in verse 7. In him, that speaking of Christ, we all have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I mean, just think about these words that's being spoken here. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable for the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ. Christ. Things in the heavens and things upon the earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been Predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we are <clears throat> that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory right there in there it tells us our, where our salvation came from and where it's all going to go it's all gonna, we're in Christ and therefore this page is telling us he got us there he's going to see us through to the end in chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2, pick it up in verse 3. Among them, he's speaking of the people that uh, used to be sinners and now are not, they're saved now. Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And here's the difference. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him. In the heavenly places, there's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Here it is again, in Christ Jesus. We've got all of this because we are, as believers, we are in Christ. This is ours. We have an inheritance. We have no call to glory about it, but we sure have call to be thankful about it and to praise God about it because he did it, we received it, praise God for it. And if that alone should be enough to motivate us to be a unified body promoting his gospel. But there's three more. The second fact that should motivate unity if there is any consolation of love or let's read it the way it is more strongly intended for us since there is any consolation of love since we have, we have that we have that okay what are, we, what are they talking about well consolation of love or comfort of love this speaks of the love or this speaks actually to the love Christ has for us his church that's what that's talking about the love expressed on us by by him by what he's done let's look at john chapter john chapter 13 john chapter 13 it takes us we are we are with the the 12 in the upper room so john 13 34 and 35 A new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, to what degree did Christ love us? All the way, all the way to death, right? All the way. And so, again, this second fact, the fact that the love that he's shown for us should prompt us to, um, to move forward for him and to serve each other. Like he said right there, we are to love each other as, as he loved us. That's remember says that's a new commandment? We've, I know we've talked about this before, but just worth a new commandment I give you. Now, what was the old commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. He just upgraded it. He just upgraded to, you know, you guys need to love one another even as I have loved you. I mean, and he's saying this just prior to his death, which he's told him what's going to happen. But even look the three years that he was walking with them. Was there anything he held, withheld from them? Can you imagine three years being tutored by the Son of God? I mean, we're talking three years walking with the second person of the Trinity. I mean, just think about who Christ is. And yet he came and he shed that love on us. And this is so important. We're still in the upper room, chapter 15 of John, verse 12. 12 and 13, he goes... uh, Again, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And he goes on to say, uh, <clears throat> greater love has no one than this, than they w- that one would lay down his life for his friends. And so there he goes. If, um, I guarantee you, if we all love like that, unity it, is going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then it takes us now to the third reality back in uh, Philippians. The third reality that motivates us is fellowship of the Spirit. The first two are linked with the Son. These next two are more linked with the Holy Spirit, although the fourth one's actually with the triune God. But the third one, the third reality... Is fellowship of the Spirit. Remember, these are all motivations to be unified. This, this is, these are things where we should where we should be living. Okay, these are things we that that should be influencing everything we do. The fellowship of the Spirit again, koinonia, which means participation, partnership, or mutual sharing. Now, some one thing we know for sure, and I want to just reestablish it again in Act in not Acts, in, in the Book of Romans, chapter eight. And Romans chapter 8, uh, 5 to 11. In Romans 8, this is often called the, the chapter of concerning the Holy Spirit, because much is said of the Holy Spirit here. But all Christians, we know that all Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 5 to 11. Let's just pick it up there. Again, this is the resource that we all have. For those... <clears throat> cannot please God you know that's true of Christians that are living in sin you're living in the flesh when those when we do that when we're living in sin we're actually living in the flesh Sometimes, it, when Christians living in sin it's hard to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian All right so again it's not only a matter of testimony but someone living in sin watch out division could pop up Okay. now Back to Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit... There's one of those uh, ifs again that could be sense. Some people call this the Greek if, (laughs) where this if um, could be translated sense, just like it was in Philippians. Here's another instance of it here. Let me read it that way. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, Sense indeed... The spirit of God dwells in you, which is true of every believer. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay? And verse 10, if Christ is in you, through the, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit, small s, is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells indwells you. And then we can move forward to in in chapter 8, verse 14 to 18, where we can see the Holy Spirit um, helps us in our weakness, in our weaknesses. Now that's assuming we're not living in sin, but we're As scripture says, like like in Galatians says, we're walking in the spirit. Or Ephesians, we're being kept filled with the spirit. Like Colossians 1 says, we're letting the word of Christ richly dwell in us. All speaking of the same thing. If we're living like that, then chapter 8 verse 14 here of Romans. For all who are being led by the spirit of God... These are sons of God, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Very tight familial term that means like 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 in the south they use the term Daddy. It would be that, a very familiar, uh, uh, family-oriented statement. Verse 16, the Spirit himself, okay, again... If you're if a Christian living in sin is not going to experience this, verse sixteen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and here's one of those here's those, some of those Greek ifs again, and if or since heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if or since we indeed suffer with him in order that we <clears throat> that we may be also glorified with him, for I consider that the suffering of this present time our suffering to present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, and then in uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit now too, if we on our way back to uh, Philippians, we stop off at Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one in On top of everything else, the Holy Spirit is, is the seal and guarantor of our eternal inheritance. And Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say, In him, that's in Christ here, you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, that's sealed in Christ, with the Holy Spirit Of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And then in chapter 4, verse 30 of Ephesians, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, this is another great truth of the gospel um <clears throat> the security of the believer um it's it's god started it and god's going to see us through and and bring us on home it's going to happen it's going to happen and then the fourth reality that should motivate us to unity is if any affection and compassion hmm this one's a little bit different in the way it comes out. But again, it's, it's, it's spoken as if this is a reality with every believer. So in other words, every believer should possess affection and compassion. It comes from God and should flow out from us. Now, affection means, you know, interesting word, splanknon. All right, all right? Which means, it means sympathy or an inward affection. As a matter of fact, the King James translates that word bowels. It's it it's kind of a it comes from the, like your inner you feel this 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 affection comes from within like from your inner from from your intestines if you will um, from the way they thought and um, uh, <clears throat> compassion is very similar these they're almost synonyms quite frankly but I think they're they're first cousins if nothing if they're not brothers they're first cousins these things are very close compassion means mercy. And they go together. It's like, it's, it's staying it twice, again, again, adding it on for emphasis. We should, we should be, have affection, sympathy, mercy among, if, if we don't have it in here, where else are you going to have it? You know, and um, remember what Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Both of these qualities characterize Jesus Christ. Both of them. As a matter of fact, you know, Jesus in his ministry, he did many things. But, you know, he, he was a man of compassion. Luke chapter 7. I, I, I love this story because it points that out. Luke chapter 7, beginning verse 11. You remember this, the uh, the account of the where he walks through a town. it's the only play, t- time this town is even mentioned. The town of Nain. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And it came about soon afterwards that that he went to a city called Nain. And his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the, the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. This is the motivation for this miracle. He felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up, touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Again, The single motivation here was just plain compassion. We don't know what happened to this woman or her son after this. We don't know if they became believers or not. But it's just there, and it just shows his compassion. I dare to say, if there were people that truly had the gift of healing, they would be doing things like this. They would be going beyond things like lower back pain. They would be actually handle real stuff like this. This is what you look through the, through the scriptures and you'll see what um, real miracles look like. They look like what Jesus and the apostles did. That's what they look like. Okay? They don't have to be dummied up. That's what they look like. A technical term. Now, as followers of Christ, Okay, we should de- we should demonstrate all four of these qualities, all four of these qualities. Matter of fact, Colossians. If you're in Philippians, turn one f- over to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, verse twelve to fifteen, where where Paul is going to state <clears throat> virtually everything. He's going to repeat for us what it takes to preserve this unity. Colossians chapter three, verse twelve to fifteen. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, so just think of all these terms as we read through it. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, I tell you, and be thankful. You know, in all four of these, um, imply all four of these, there I guess the downside to that is there's there's an implied negative. And the implied negative side to these four admonitions is namely would be to fail to live up to who we are in Christ will not only promote disunity, but quite frankly it's an act of ingratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who has loved us. And as Colossians says and delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It really, you know, by not living up to what we are, it's, it, it, you know, that's just being ungrateful. That's just being ungrateful. Now, we get to verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. And now we have a direct appeal for unity. Direct appeal for unity. Chapter Ephesians 2, 2. Where he, he starts off, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Man, that sounds an awful lot like 127 through 30. See so, what I mean? There's an important point here he's trying to drive home. Unity in the, in the local assembly is mandatory it has to exist it has to exist make my joy complete Paul has already expressed joy in the fact of their participation in the gospel okay? he now exhorts them to, be, to you know if you really want to make my joy complete if you want to make my joy full <laughs> do this too not only just continue in the ministry of the gospel but stay unified Stay unified. Be of one mind. Be of one purpose. And so now he's just going to reinforce everything again that he's written from chapter one. Now, first one, being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Literally means to be like-minded. To think the same thing. Are we, does that mean we're mind-numb little robots that bounce back? No. No. Being of the same mind. This is, now this, this, this. This statement is going to be developed further in this in this letter. I mean, look in, in Philippians. Look forward to chapter three, verse fifteen. Chapter 3, 15 <clears throat> through seventeen. He goes, "Let us therefore, as many are as are perfect, have the same, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. So if if you are not in sync with the rest of them, maybe God is going to reveal that to you. All right. However. Let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in, my, in, my, in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And then in chapter 4, verse 8 to 9, as he's wrapping up this letter, he goes, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. What things? Well, verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace. Peace. Harmony. Unity. Peace. Peace harmony, unity. You know, and let's face it, folks. We can do this. We can do this. It's not impossible. The next point, back to chapter 2, having the same love. Having the same love. Back in chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, Paul spoke of love. <clears throat> he goes, uh, In this I pray that your love, which they have, that your love may abound still more and more. Okay? It's there. It needs to be improved. It needs to be improved. And um, and how is that? Well, it may abound more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. I don't know if you remember when we talked about that, in real knowledge and discernment. I mean, some people look at love as some sappy, little emotional thing. Yes, emotion is involved, but remember love, agape, agapeo love, that love that does stuff? its I like to call it that John 3.16 kind of love for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. True love does things. True love just doesn't say, oh, love you, I mean it, and then walk away. No. No, true love does something. It's like what James says, you know, if you, if you see a, a brother that's hungry and, and naked and you do nothing, what is that? What good is that? Okay? And this is, I mean, true love seeks the best for people. And you see a problem, you want to fix it. That's true love. Remember, what are the two greatest commandments? What are the two greatest commandments? Well, let's look at it. Matthew. Matthew. Good. I got the verses. Matthew, 37 to 40. I think it's chapter 22. Let's see if the ginkgo's working this morning. Matthew 22. Yes, Matthew 22. <laughs> How'd I miss that one? I need to spell check doesn't pick up numbers. Okay. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Again, Jesus being questioned by the Pharisees. This time a lawyer pops up testing him. He says, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? Verse 36. And he said to him, Verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And that makes sense. If we can't get past this, if we don't love the God, with all our heart, soul, and with all our mind. Everybody else down the line doesn't stand a chance. I mean, it's, it's got to come from there. And then he goes on, verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds this statement, on these two commandments depend or hang, it could, you know, like on a hook, the whole law and the prophets. The, the term law and the prophets is a term that applies to the Old Testament. The whole Bible in their day, because none of this was written yet. The New Testament wasn't written yet. The whole Bible hangs on those two commandments. And you know what? Nothing's changed. Now all 66 books hang on <laughs> those two. Okay? Hang on those two. <clears throat> And then the third one, united in spirit, back in Philippians. United in spirit means to be one soul. Literally means to be one soul. Sum sukos. Remember suke, soul? We saw that last week. This has the same emphasis of standing firm in one spirit with one mind. That we saw in verse in. in Verse 27 of chapter 1. Steve Lawson had a good good, good uh, something to say on this. He goes, we must be one souled, welded together with a common acceptance of each other. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that hit the spirit of what's being said here by Paul. Let me say that again. We must be one soul, welded together with a common acceptance of each other. Okay, And then the next one. Intent on one purpose. And that one purpose would be striving together for the faith of the gospel. And again, striving together. Striving together. And how do we do this? I'm going to go back and read again Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. This is how we get it. This is how we do it. It's interesting that... uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians were written written in that same time frame where he was, and Philemon, were written in that same imprisonment in Rome. But he had a common message for all. You'll see the similar, similar exhortations in Ephesians. All three of these are very similar. He had it's like the message, the whole church needed to hear this. Colossians 3, 12 through we'll pick we'll we'll go a little further this time. And so <clears throat> As those who have been chosen, that's speaking of, as those who have been chosen. He says, okay, you people that are chosen, act like it. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the uh, inference here. Who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility. Matter of fact, back up verse 12. That word heart, that's that word, remember that word splankna? The King James uh, translates that when the heart has bowels of compassion. Okay? Bowels of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Again, that love as God, i have loved you christ said love as i have loved you and beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity Remember what peter say love covers a multitude of sins okay so we need a lot of love don't we <laughs> um, but no it's just i'll tell you it the the key is right here goes on, verse 13, bearing one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint in one, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, and beyond all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Wow, perfect bond of unity. And let peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and be thankful. I mean, just, just be thankful for, for who we are. In Christ, <clears throat> and he goes on to say, and right here, this passage here is synonymous with being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you compare Colossians three sixteen and following with Ephesians five eight and following, you'll see identical language. So it's talking about the same thing. Verse sixteen of Colossians three: Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, richly dwell within you, okay? With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's why we, that's one of the reasons we we sing on Sunday morning. You know, that's, again, <clears throat> we teach. That's why I'm so thankful that the folks that picked the music here are concerned that it's theologically accurate. <laughs> okay? You know, we um, don't sing any Jehovah Witness songs or anything like that. You know, or, you know but, that they're accurate. They're biblical. They, because that's part of the teaching. That's part people learn from the, the repetition of those songs. They're important. Again, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And I mean, you notice how often in this, Paul brings up being thankful, thanksgiving, okay? And we know being thankful isn't always easy, especially when things are going Badly, okay, when things are rough, you're going through hard times, bad times it's it's tough sometimes it is, but those are the that's when you need to get back into passages like Colossians three, okay, and read these things, okay, this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do, okay, and then the last one, and where kind of where he was going all along, I think anyway. Paul in verses, back to Philippians 2, in verses 3 and 4, now Paul is making a direct appeal for unity. He's making an appeal for unity itself. Verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Boy, that is so tough for humans to do. Not merely... Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Well, do nothing from, what they mean, do nothing from, that speaks of motivations, motivation. Do nothing from, don't be motivated by selfishness, don't be motivated by empty conceit. That's what that's talking about. Do nothing from those motivations. It's gonna go, it's gonna go badly. Now, selfishness, I think that's self-explanatory. It's, it's in the word, really. It's putting self first, which is based in pride, right? It's the me, me, me. So, one old Sunday school teacher said to the kids, she had wrote on the board the word sin. You see, in the middle of sin is I. <laughs> That's I. That's in the middle of sin. She, she was rough, too, but, uh, but she meant well. Um, but, but then, it, you think about it, it's true. Most sins are a result of what I want to do. Think about it, isn't it? I mean, what's that thing? We have met the enemy and he is us or something like that. I mean, but that's what it is. You know, but isn't pride, though, the root of virtually all sin when you stop and think about it? Remember Isaiah 14, Satan Let's look there, Isaiah chapter 14, I just looked at the clock, but there's, they, they might make 70 years by the time we get out, but anyway, <laughs> 14, 14, 12, it's, okay. you want to know what the first sin ever committed in the universe, this is it. Isaiah 14, 12-15 and it's recorded here looking back how have you fallen from heaven O star of the morning, son of the dawn you have have been cut down from earth, you have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of, of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. And God's up there saying, No, you won't. And verse 15: Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recess of the pit. Matter of fact, we're not going to go there, but you can read in Revelation 20: He will there is a place reserved for him where he will spend eternity, and it's called the lake of fire. It's there. He's not yet, but he will. We won't turn there, but you can see that with, in in the temptation of Adam and Eve, when Satan went to them and says, you know, they um, says, well, they said, well, if we eat the fruit, we will die, and, and Satan said, God, you will certainly not die, but he says, but God knows the minute you eat this fruit, you'll be just like him, and so he was pulling the same pride thing on them, and they they went with it. Let's look at under. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This was Corinth's problem. Um, division, people putting others, putting themselves before others. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 1, it says, and, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh and as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? See, and the answer is yes, and then... He goes on and he tells, well, he reverts back to what he wrote in chapter one of this is where some are going to, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and all that, that, that. Yeah, they all kind of have these little factions going on in there where I'm following this guy and that guy. No, that, that doesn't work. That being selfish is going to cause division. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 20, we can get a lesson from Jesus and the 12. Jesus and the 12 is a classic lesson of where putting oneself in front of others causes division and strife Matthew 20 verse 7 to 8, 17 to 28 it happened to the 12 it happened to the 12 and I'm I'm picking up verse 17 to to get the context of this because it's really bad this is how bad selfishness can really get and as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem he took the 12 aside by themselves and on the way he said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him and on the third day he will rise up now he's going and all this is going to happen to him right and on the heels of that look what happens then the mother of the sons of Zebedee that's James and John the sons, the sons of thunder well, the sons of thunder went down and said hey mom can you go go talk to Jesus for us so the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons with her sons bowing down and making a request of him and he said to her what do you wish she said to him command that your king, command in your kingdom that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left and Jesus answered and said you do not know what you're asking for. And you are, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, okay, now here's where the strife comes in. And hearing this, the ten, okay, became indignant with the two brothers. See the rift? But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, er, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, <clears throat> and again, the empty conceit uh, back in Colossians, and empty conceit again. It's closely aligned with selfishness. It means arrogant pride, being wise in one's own estimation. These are these are those that you know got all the answers. Got all the answers. These are what you might call legends in their own minds. You know, got it handled. Got it wired. I, Colossians again, 6, three says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, that's where these folks are, thinking they got it all handled. Empty conceit by its own nature, its own nature is self-deceiving and is the enemy of unity. It, it's the enemy of unity. I think, you know, it, it'd be good to get a word from James, not James and John, the, the, James the son of Joseph and Mary, the half-brother of Christ. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, says this. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in in, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, Do not be arrogant as so to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, demonic. That's pretty strong language there. That's pretty strong language. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. See what it, I mean, he's not pulling any punches here. He's writing, James is writing to the church. He's not pulling any punches But verse 17, but the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteous is sown in peace by those who make peace. Doesn't that sound like everything we've been looking at so far today? I mean, that is the key to unity. It's right there. Humility. And it comes from the start from two negative. Don't be selfish, don't maintain empty conceit. Now more from the positive in um, <clears throat> Philippians two three, the second half it says, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Like I say, just the total opposite of pride, total opposite of self, or just total opposite of empty deceit. We could take a few lessons here, I think, and we have probably just enough time to do it from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We'll just take a few excerpts from there. Very, <clears throat> I think they very applicable to this. Let's start with some out of the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 3 beginning Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And really the rest of the Beatitudes go right along with this. If you, if you have ever studied the Beatitudes, they're kind of like, they just kind of keep increasing, they keep building on each other, and there's a progression here. In the in the beatitudes, and also from the attitudes, beatitudes have that beatitude attitude, as some of you say, in chapter six, where he's going to say, "Don't be like the hypocrites," and we'll take a little lesson now from the hypocrites, or I should say that Jesus gives us at their expense. You know, it's like the one guy said, "If nothing else, we can all serve as a bad example of what not to do." Well, they they were good. They the Scribes and Pharisees were good for that, if nothing else. Matthew six, one through five, beware of practicing righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You know that that's true of the believers, too. Remember, a lot of a lot of good works done by Christians for the wrong reason. Come judgment day will be wood, hay, and straw, as opposed to gold, silver, and precious stones. It could be because good things were done with Bad motives, wrong motives. I mean, we want to think about that. Verse two: When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do for the sinner. They actually did that. Da, 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 here we come. And <laughs> can you believe this? That's how arrogant these people were. And in the streets, they they may be honored by. And so in the streets, may I bring? Truly, I say to. They, oh, let, me, let me read this again because I, I don't want to miss what our Lord is saying here Then therefore you give alms do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men truly I say to you they have their reward in full well what's that? they were honored by men what's that? okay what's that going to get you? Right? eternally speaking nothing nothing it, nothing um, <clears throat> And in verse 3, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And it goes on to They did the same thing with prayer. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. (laughs) And once again, he says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. They got. They were seen by men. Whoopie ding. Okay, that's, that's the attitude here. And then also in chapter six, verses sixteen and seventeen says they did the same thing with fasting. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face. As they, <laughs> I mean, you can almost picture these guys doing this. You know, like they get the, the pale makeup. I mean, it just you almost see it. And you, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Guess what? Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. <laughs> okay? They were seen being gloomy by men. yippee ki But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. If you fast, you go ahead and get all spruced up and make don't make it look like you're fast. Because that's something you do before God, not before men. That's the point. See, and pride causes people, and there's those in the church that will occasionally do things to be seen by men, like, you know, uh, aren't either one, and some of us, and to help them with their pricing, no, you're not. (laughs) Okay, but what we need to do then, the the next one, is let each regard one another as more important than himself. That is so hard for, for people to do. Christians included. That is, that goes... This is not a natural thing for mankind to do. It's just not. I mean, this runs totally opposite of human nature. Totally opposite. I mean, for the natural man, this is really impossible. But for those of us that are redeemed, it is possible. We can do this. We can. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-discipline. And I think the first step... To view ourselves, you know, as less than others is to view ourselves for who we really are. We are sinners saved by grace. You know, we're not like, you're like, oh, what a great day, Lord, when you brought me into the kingdom. Good move. No, no, (laughs) no, that's not, that's, that's not it. It's view ourselves, you know, kind of like the, I almost went there, but at, but at the time, it's like, remember the, the Pharisee and the publican? Remember that parable? The Pharisee says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that publican. And the, and the publican's over there pounding his breast, saying, Lord, Lord, I'm not worthy. You know? And Jesus says, guess which one is going to be in paradise? The publican. The guy that had true, true repentance. You know, and again... And look at how there's. Some, Paul gives us example in a lot of his writings about what he feels about himself. I mean, we won't turn. I just some some little quick quotes here. Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. Paul viewed himself as the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. That's Paul's self estimation of himself. Of Ephesians three eight, the very least of all saints. And we know what a powerful man he was. What a wonderful man he was. His view: I'm the least of all saints. And then First Timothy one fifteen, he called himself writing a personal letter to Timothy. I am the chief chief of sinners. That's how he referred to himself, the chief of sinners. Paul emphasizes humility, and um, and he emphasizes his exhortation on humility again with that final verse in Philippians. In our in our Philippians two four, our last one this morning from Philippians. And again, he just adds to that. He just adds to what he's already been saying. Like, I'm going to pick it up back in verse 3. But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another more important than themselves. How? Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, don't be selfish. Look out for them first. Look out for the other guy first. That's how we regard people as more important than ourselves. Take care of their needs first. Sometimes that's really the way to go. And finally, in closing, I'd like to close by reading Romans chapter 15. I think it's a fitting ending to what we've been looking at this morning. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And again, this is Paul now wrapping up in the process of wrapping up his letter to the Romans. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification, to his building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who were reproached, they fell on me. For whoever was, for whatever was written in early times was written for our instruction, that through the, the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, may the God of, who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Let's uh, close in prayer. Our Father, our God, we, again, Lord, we come to you with thanksgiving. We come to you, Lord, that we, can, we even have the possibility of living up to these things. We know the world can't do it. And Lord, we know we can. And when we don't, we also acknowledge it's our fault. Again, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its consistency. And again, Lord, we offer you this whole day. In Jesus' name, amen.